So I'm here uh, with our Night of Hope, and I have with me uh, none other than Michael Sullivan. Thanks for joining us, Michael, all the way from the Kansas City area. Thank you, Kendall. It's always a blessing to be with you and your people, and uh, I'm glad that we're chatting. Thanks so much. Uh, the feeling is mutual, and I feel like I glean so much whenever we connect, and I'm always furiously taking notes and so appreciate uh, just the family man and carrier of hope that you are. And that brings us to our topic for this evening's interview. So what we're doing is we are putting together some voices of hope for God's people in this hour. And I know you've been carrying this word of hope um, for a long time, and it's something God has really stirred in you and given you a lot of revelation over. And um, I would love just to hear what that journey has been like. How did you become a hope carrier in your own life? So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. When I was a young Christian, I had a lot of hope. And then I got into the ministry and into church life, and it just kind of subtly, you know, started to uh, wane, I would say, um, through some of the trials and my reactions, some of my immature reactions to the trials of life. And um, and then I just kind of woke up, I don't know, probably about uh, eight years ago, something like that. And, and the Lord just kind of I don't know, signaled me. And it was like, Michael, you're, you've lost what I gave you as a young Christian. It's time to recover that spirit of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to uh, hang around people that had more hope. And I started to study more about it and think more about it. And as I did, and as I shared about it with other people, and they shared back with me, we just got into this rhythm of building hope in each other. And the Holy Spirit I mean, this is one of his job descriptions is to impart hope. So, you know, uh, it just renewed. I would say I went through a big renewal about uh, eight years ago regarding hope. What are some signs for someone that maybe their hope is waning? Well, uh, I think, you know, the opposite of hope is despair Mm -hmm. uh, and depression and oppression and Mm -hmm. Um, just losing uh, our spirit of expectation of good, you know, usually because of the hardships of life. So uh, I think there's a dulling that happens. I think that there's a discouragement, you know, that's an interesting word, discouragement, the opposite of encouragement, encouragement. We put courage into each other. And when we're discouraged, it's been leaking out. That, that, that there's a danger of, for spirit-filled Christians, and that is the danger of leaking. <laughs> so, you know, uh, if, you, if you've been filled, then you can leak. And I did some leaking, and I'm sure, you know, we all have in some ways, but, but we can be filled again. And so, um, yeah, that, those are some of the things I think of. How are you keeping your hope filled up in this time of the coronavirus crisis? Obviously, Many of us who, who enjoy being at home and being with our family, that's, that's been a source of encouragement. But the, the world stage is obviously full of challenges. How, how are you uh, keeping yourself full of hope? Well, I think uh, getting ourselves grounded in the good news of Jesus, um, I, think, I think that somehow the church has kind of lost a lot of the hope that comes just with the good news of Jesus what he did in his first coming to change the cosmos. And so I've been studying the gospel deeply in recent years. 
And I've come away from those studies and those meditations and those writings uh, with a, a much greater sense that this is such great news uh, that ultimately the, the world, I think, is going to listen. I think the world is going to open up and believe in this good news, especially as the church embodies the good news more and more. And so that's my, that's my work these days is to build Christians up so that they become carriers of hope because they're carriers of the good news of Jesus. Amen. Would you mind just reading, um, I think you wrote a poem about, yeah. about hope. And uh-huh. it's interesting. I think a sign that hope is being restored in our lives at times can be creativity kind of flows out of us. So that's just meaningful in itself, you know, yeah. but, but I'd, I'd love for you to read that poem for us Great. that you wrote. Sure, yeah. I'll be glad to. Yeah, Great. I had a I had an inner healing that happened a few years ago, and when uh, I w- it was over, I just suddenly started to want I, I started started to want to write poetry, and I've written about mm. sixty poems or so. Excellent things that the Lord's been saying to me. So here's the hope poem. It's just called Hope. Hope is a mystery, but one we must hold. Hope is a story that appears as it's told. Hope is a dream that's given at birth. Hope is a pathway revealing our worth. Hope is right now about what is to be. Hope is forever and vast as the sea. Hope is a test that examines our stuff. Hope is a strength for the times that are rough. Hope is a power, no second-class grace. Hope is a trump card, heart of an ace. Hope hears the music, then faith sings the songs. Hope is the atmosphere. Love rights the wrongs. Hope is for children carefree and keen. Hope is renewed as we see the unseen. Hope is a grace that must be received. Hope is a person in whom we've believed. Hope is for real because God is so good. Hope is assured things will end as they should. So that's a hope narrative. And I think that the New Testament teaches us a hope narrative about what God wants to do in the world. Hope is renewed as we see the unseen. I'd love just to press in on that Mm. thought a little bit. And it seems like there's even some things God is revealing to you about. It's time for sight and it's time to see things in a certain way. And I'd love just to kind of open up that journey and hear what that's been like for you. Well, I mean, it is 2020, right? So I'm I'm childlike enough to believe that God just uses these things providentially to to remind us of things he wants us to hear and and, uh, believe, you know. So 2020 is about keen vision. Mm. And uh, and I I think it's linked with uh, Isaiah 60, uh, rise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness and gross darkness covers the, the, the earth and the peoples, but the glory of the Lord is rising upon you. And it's, it's, this is our hour. I mean, when the world is in despair, this is our hour for good news. So, yeah, I think it's time to be keen-sighted. Um, and uh, some of that is hindsight, you know, the asking God for 2020 hindsight. Sometimes we don't have that even. Uh, but we can get that if we if we think back well and rehearse the story of God in our lives and in our culture and in the cultures of the world. But then I think, you know, we can see uh, more clearly what God wants us to see in the present. 
And then as we do those two things, I think it leads to some discernment about what's coming, you know, even though we don't fully know the future. So there's a spirit of prophecy that can come upon us. So what, um, are, what are you seeing as God's given you keen sight of hope? Yeah, yeah, well, the first big thing I'm seeing is that there's an emphasis from the Holy Spirit on a heaven-to-earth theology rather than mm-hmm. an earth-to-heaven theology. Uh, this is not time for us to think about escaping the planet. This is time for us to stand in the gap as, as intercessors. You know, our hands are up uh, in the age to come, if you will. They're like antenna into the age to come the powers of the age to come and our feet are squarely planted on the earth. And we're called to be that conduit, you know, through Jesus that, that calls the kingdom of heaven to bear Hmm. Uh, your kingdom come in, in the Greek language. That was uh, uh, emphatic kingdom come your will be done Hmm. on earth as it is in heaven. So I think that's a big shift that's going on theologically for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think the Holy Spirit is all about. Um, our Emmanuel, God with us, the first coming of Christ happened, and everything changed in that first coming of Christ. The cosmos changed when Jesus came the first time. And I think a lot of Christians have been so caught up in trying to figure out the details of the second coming that we've underestimated the power of the first coming. And the apostles were caught up in what was happening through the first coming. That's what they proclaimed. They referred to the second coming, and we want that, and we pray for that. But we have a job to do here and now, and the kingdom is available to us here and now. So that's certainly one thing. Another thing I think that I'm seeing is that the world is ripe for what I'm calling a relational renaissance. Mm. The information society is just pouring knowledge out upon us. It's pouring information down upon us. It's overwhelming people. And, and this is, uh, these are the ripple effects of actually the enlightenment that goes back some hundreds of years, but there's been a progressive ripple effect of the enlightenment upon Western culture. And, and what it's done is it's brought a dehumanization of the human life. And I think that the Holy spirit is, is working to rehumanize us rehumanize human beings according to the image of Jesus, who was the paragon of humanity, the paragon of what a human being is. And, and so I think that people are going to start pushing back against the information society and the dehumanization of it all and saying, we want the personal touch again. We want flesh and blood. We want incarnational Christianity uh, where Christ is present with us and we're present with each other and we have meaningful uh, relationships that are sustainable and full of love. And I think there's going to be a great hunger in the world for this. And it's time for us to do our part and embody these things. So those are some of the things I think of. I think also of uh, the hatred that's being spewed across the planet right now. There's just a lot of hatred. And I think we're supposed to stand in the gap and love our enemies. Uh, loving our enemies, learning to love our enemies, I think is the, is the shortest route to uh, a great awakening in the world. Mm. When the world sees Christians loving our enemies genuinely uh, and, and doing our part to stop the hate, I think that it's going to draw attention to the good news of Jesus. Wow. So that's some of the stuff that I'm thinking of. Um, 
I think that there's a uh, hope reformation. So there's a, a relational renaissance going on. I think we're getting ready for it. And there's a hope reformation going on where we recover the hope that is embedded in the good news of Jesus Christ. How can people experience a personal hope reformation right now in their own lives? I know God's given you a lot of tools. Yeah. You know, we have to have these eyes of the heart opened Um, eyes that see beyond like we referred to earlier, the, Mm -hmm. the eyes that see what is unseen. I mentioned that in the poem. Yes. And, and so this is the prayer of the church for Christians, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. So our hearts, the, the deepest part of our being, the very core of our being, has, has spiritual senses, just like our bodies have senses. And so opening the eyes of our heart and then opening the ears of our hearts. Um, when Solomon prayed for wisdom in Hebrew, he prayed, give me a, a hearing heart. Uh, a heart that has ears. And this is the way God has designed us. We are supposed to be in touch with the unseen uh, kingdom of God. And then we, we are able to translate what is unseen into the visible world. That's part of our job description as Christians. Bringing the values, bringing the presence. It's a lot about presence, the presence of heaven, the presence of the Holy Spirit, introducing and ushering. I think of it as ushers. I'm going around the the country ordaining ushers, (laughs) (laughs) ushering the presence and wisdom of Jesus Christ into your sphere of influence. Mm. It doesn't mean we have to do great things. Like Mother Teresa said, we can't all do great things, but we can all do little things with great love. And it's this greatness of the quality of love that is in Christ and and is to be embodied in Christians that we can do, whether it's a, it's a small act or a bigger act, it doesn't really matter. And so we need these ushers to go everywhere who are filled with the love and the hope and the joy and the peace of Christ to simply usher the wisdom and presence of Christ into their sphere of influence, whether big or small. And so I think some of the shuttering of our culture that's gone on where we're mm-hmm. shut down, you know, I think a lot of this is a, a Sabbath. I think mm-hmm. it's a forced Sabbath that God is calling for. You know, I don't think God has sent this disease. I think it's something from the evil one sure. that we should resist, but I think God's using it. And, and he always does. He always takes what Satan and people mean for evil and he turns it for good. That's how big he is and how great he is. And so I think that uh, that this is a time for us to slow down. It's a, it's a time to stop. It's a time to reevaluate. Our cultural idols have been coming down, and that's a good thing, you know. And so it's leaving us with the things that are unshakable if we really tune in to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So I think that that getting quiet. Like the Bible says, be still. You know, if, if, I, if I'm hearing one passage of Scripture, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And a lot of Christians have never linked the next half of the verse to the first half. It says, I will be exalted in the nations. I will be wow. exalted in the earth. This is world evangelism. 
But mm-hmm. it starts with us being still and knowing mm-hmm. that he is God. Because the world must be one. The Great Commission can only be fulfilled through people that embody the Great Commandment. And, and we have to learn how to calm ourselves and be still to be filled with that hope and that love and that, and that confidence that we need to be those uh, ambassadors who are fiery mobile altars of the kingdom of God. And we are the ones who usher the hope into the world. That's so counterintuitive, you know, being still and then God making his name great. It, I think the word that's coming to mind as I hear you talk right now is the word integration. Mm. You know, it's God's integrating our rest and our work. Our, our life has become disintegrated with the digital world and our physical world. There's an integration that needs to have our relationship. It, it just seems like there is some healthy uh, integration that God is bringing into people's lives and spirits at this time. Um, and, um, what, what I know about you, Michael, is this is only the tip of the iceberg because, um, you've really been on a journey the last years of now taking the prophetic revelation that God has given you the leadership gifts and experiences you have and incorporating it with some very interesting science and psychology. So, so, so bring us into that world and how hope, kind of influences all of that. And I know that there's a lot there. Yeah. So, you know, faith, hope, and love are this wonderful trinity of, mm. of virtues. So they really are entwined uh, with each other. So for me, it started, you know, some years ago with this revelation about hope and that God had hope. And it was kind of like he was saying, Michael, I've got a lot of hope for the world. I've got a lot of hope Mm. for the gospel and its impact on the world. How about you? You know, (laughs) is there somebody that's going to agree with me ahead of time before we see? That's what hope is about. Hope is anticipating good things. And so, you know, Romans 12, or sorry, Romans uh, 13, 15. Now may the God of hope, (laughs) he's called the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what started happening to me. He was answering that prayer. Mm. And so then it's led to some more insight into joy and, uh, and how joy and hope are intertwined. Hope is, is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes a precursor to uh, faith and love. And so uh, when, we, when we get that atmosphere of hope, we're tuning into, maybe we don't know the specifics of what to hope for, but we're getting this encouragement from the Holy Spirit, like believe for good things, reach out, some good things are around the corner. Then all of a sudden, faith has something to uh, actualize. So faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. So the hope comes Mm -hmm. first in that case. And then the love figures in. So I've been learning a lot about uh, hope and faith and love and joy uh, as it uh, applies to the way that God has designed our human frame, the way he's, it's called anthropology. It's biblical mm-hmm. anthropology. How has God designed us? And so I've, uh, I've now become the CEO of an organization called Life Model Works that uh, was founded by Dr. Jim Wilder. And Jim is a neurotheologian. So he has this great insight into neuro, uh, neuroscience and as he studied neuroscience as a Christian, 
he, and he studied theology as well before he studied neuroscience. It was like these two things come together. Lo and behold, wow. science is catching up with God and how yes. God designed the human being to, to grow, to mature, to be transformed, to learn. And we, we've been designed at the very core of our being for an attachment, love relationship with our creator and with our caregivers. So, so as it turns out, that when we have the secure attachment, and you can even understand salvation in Scripture as an attachment, a secure mm. attachment to our Creator through Christ. It's, it's, attachment is about love. This is, when you talk about attachment in neuroscience, you're talking about being loved. And so love is what we need at the very core. And when we get it from God and we get it from caregivers, then we, it, it builds up into this experience of joy. And joy is what the human brain actually thrives by. It's like a fuel for the human brain because it synchronizes. When there's this love, peace, joy flow in the human brain, it synchronizes the deepest part of our being. And we become brilliant <laughs> as a result. We grow and we mature and we transform. And so the great uh, you know, neuroscientist, Dr. Alan Shore out of UCLA, he said it this way, uh, that joy is relational. Joy happens. It's not mystical. It's relational. When we, uh, when we are the sparkle and when we become the sparkle in another person's eye, mm. then we're going to have joy. And so Jim Wilder's come along and added the theology to this model. And so we call it the life model. And it is just, it's brilliant. And I've got, I've got his latest book right here, Renovated, just came out last week. And Renovated is a paradigm shift for the body of Christ because it's basically saying we need to understand salvation relationally. Mm. It's about God loving us, us loving God, and then us loving other people for God's sake, for Christ's sake. And so this book is a paradigm shift for even understanding and talking about what's happened to us with salvation. And I think it's just an amazing science and theology that are coming together like never before in human history. So I could talk a long time about that, but <laughs> it's a, it's a prophetic, it's a prophetic yes. book. Okay. So yes. get this book, lifemodelworks.org, get renovated, Jim Wilder, and uh, it, you will be blessed. Great. And I'm assuming that's available on Amazon as well. Uh, it, yes, it is. Yes. It's Great. available on Amazon. I love what you said about uh, science is finally catching up to God. <laughs> yeah. Which, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's gonna, at the end of the, at the end of the age, when we see him face to face, he's going to look at us and go, well, yeah, I really was kind of a good scientist, you know, yeah. I, look at what I made. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, hey, I think there was another article that inspired you. You mentioned something by N.T. Wright that came out recently. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. N.T. Wright's article is another prophetic uh, work, and um, I'm sure he has some books that relate to it. But this is an article called um, "Knowing," or sorry, "Loving to Know." That's mm. the name of the article, and it was in First Things Journal. So you could look it up on the internet and get the PDF. N.T. Wright, "Loving to Know," and this article is a brilliant article about history 
in the Western world, especially, and how we uh, have come to understand truth. And truth has been divorced from love. And the whole article is about how God's truth, real truth, mm-hmm. certain truth, is always nested in love. And we have we have lost the love, and so the truth has become wonky, and mm. we, we it's been eccentric and it's been messed up, and so we need to come back to this value of nesting the search for truth in something bigger. It's I'm thinking of nesting dolls. So you nest the search for truth inside of love, and it it just coincides so well with what we've been learning in the neuroscience side of things and the theology too. It's, there's, new, there's new theology that's going to come out from this different base of understanding the human being as well as understanding the nature of love. That's great. Yeah, I, I had the chance to hear N.T. Wright last year here in San Diego and mm. uh, would definitely recommend that article uh, for sure. I've um, been in touch with him a little bit and it's been a blessing. He knows a little bit about us and we know a lot about him. But you know, <laughs> let me give you a passage of scripture that relates to this. Paul says yes. it clearly in 1 Corinthians 8. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Mm. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So Paul turns the tables on who has the knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not about us acquiring knowledge. It's about being known by God, which is a term of endearment and intimacy. And so we see right here in 1 Corinthians 8, as well as 1 Corinthians 13, how true knowledge and, and truth itself and power and even commitment has to be nested in the experience of love. The more excellent way, Paul says. I think for our uh, people that are watching and listening, you know, this this time um, of stay at home and for many people, loss of income and just limitation really you know, whether it be physical or emotional or whatever, I think a lot of people felt trapped. And um, I was really thinking about that this morning with something going on in my life. And I actually, this was before I got some of the stuff you sent me. And I was just thinking about that phrase, prisoners of hope. Yeah. And um, I think God has something for us there in this Mm. recording. So I'd love just to kind of close with that, just talking about that idea of prisoners of hope. And maybe you, maybe you could read something or there's something you can impart to us Mm. on that idea. Cause we're good. We're, we're going to be attached to something. Right. And in this time we are confined, but in some ways we can choose how we're confined. Yeah. And, and and what we do when we are, you know, cause a lot of this is about slowing down. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is about resting in Christ and abiding, the whole concept of abiding in Christ. I had an amazing dream about this. Mm. The Lord spoke to me about abiding in Christ as a formula for guaranteed success in life. And Mm. the body of Christ hardly understood what it meant to abide in Christ. And I think this is, the circumstances are inspiring. The circumstances Mm. are prodding us, goading us. Get into this place of abiding. 
And when you're there, now look for the beautiful things. Look for the good things. Look to the, look about, look to the things that you can be grateful for. The Philippians 4 passage, where Paul says, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is beautiful, you know, look on these things and, and focus on these things and be grateful. Mix your intercessions with gratitude. So there's a whole message about gratitude coming to the mm. church. The culture is prophesying back to the church mm. about gratitude right now. And mm. so somebody else was confined, Paul and Silas. They were confined in Acts right. 16, in Philippi, right? And <clears throat> so they were practicing apostolic Christianity. What were they doing? It was midnight, the darkest hour, yeah. in prison. Their hands are in stocks, their feet are in, or hands are in chains, feet are in stocks. And then these two guys in this nasty prison in Philippi, and what are they doing? They're praising the Lord. Mm. They're singing. They're singing hymns at midnight. And, and it says, in, you kind of read between the lines, it says, and the other prisoners were listening. Like, mm. of course they were. Like, <laughs> they were going, like, who do we have here in prison? What are these guys us? doing? <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah. They're singing songs. Like, I don't think we've sung a song in prison yet. So yeah. here they are, you know, being grateful to God for the privilege of suffering for Christ because they did the will of God. They were right in the middle of the father's will and they, their backs were beaten. They were bloodied and they were hurting, but they were singing songs of praise to God. Now that to me is a message that's so critical for us. Mm. You know, talk about confinement. Yeah. Right. A Philippian, uh, a, a Greek, a Greek, a Greek prison. Right. And so I saw this in a vision uh, that the Lord, when their praise came up to him from that prison, it hit him in the face, like mm. incense, like, like it, it hit him so hard. He showed me this in the vision. He was so moved in real time. It was like his right arm shot out from his side and he couldn't help himself. And he sent the earthquake. Wow. <laughs> it was like Paul and Silas weren't praying for an earthquake. But God sent it yeah. and released wow. them, and, and salvation breaks out in Philippi, right? Mm. <laughs> so, wow. so I think this is a message for us. And so they were prisoners of hope. And this is a, this is a phrase out of Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verse 12, where uh, it says, Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. And I believe that this confinement right now that we're going through, God is using this big time. He wants to use it. And, and you know, we get the deciding vote. Are we going to let the enemy use this or are we going to let the Lord use it? And I'm saying, hey, Christians, let God use this in your life. Yes. Let it slow you down. Let it cause you to not be so caught up in the cultural idols going on in our world. All the cultural idols, they're just nothing right right now. They're just Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a blank slate. And, um, and so this is a time to reevaluate our priorities, our source of life. I think it's a time to say, is there, is there something more to life than just the, the, the rat race, the treadmill? Cause you know, they, the old saying is even, even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. Yeah. So let's like, let's drop out of the rat race mm -hmm. and let's get our life in God going and humming and cooking and let this generation of faith and hope and love and joy and long suffering happen in our lives. And remember that we are prisoners of hope. Mm -hmm. And to me, what this means is that you cannot be your authentic self 
when you are in despair as a Christian, when you are burdened down, when you are into the gloom and doom of it all, I believe that it jerks us out of our true identity as Christians. Mm. And I think that we can only be our truest selves in Christ when we stay in that, in that prison of hope. It's a prison of hope. You're locked into it. And, and so I, I wrote a poem about the prisoners of hope that I want to read. Mm-hmm. It, it goes, to live Please in do. bright hope, true believers are bound, for hope always shines forth from God's eyes. To succumb to despair is to put on a mask and choose a dank prison of lies. So return to the stronghold for which you were born, a sweet cell where his presence abides. You're a prisoner of hope forever and now. It's from here that your freedom train rides. Mm. As I wrote this poem, I saw we were locked into these cells, which was the, it was the presence of God. It was the abiding relationship. We're, we're in this cell. No matter where we go, we're mobile. We're in a mobile mm-hmm. prison. And we're supposed to stay in that prison of hope, in that atmosphere of hope. And then I saw all of these cells get loaded onto this train. And it was like the freedom train was going, you know, across the world. Like, get into this freedom train. Yes. But you got you to gotta stay in your prison of hope in order to be who you really are. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's really impacting to me. I'm sure it's impacting to everyone else that's listening to. And... Uh, Michael, I just want to thank you for these great words of encouragement and amazing revelation from the Lord. I know I'm walking away from this, wanting my house and my car and just where I'm at to be a prison of hope today. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very blessed by that. There's thank you. so many things, Kendall, to be grateful for. So many things God is doing. And I, I want to say something else about hope. It, there's a quantum dimension to hope. Great. You know, the quantum world is weird. Right. And here's the principle is that <laughs> the, the action of particles changes when they're observed. And so observation affects reality. That's the point. And so I believe that with the Holy Spirit's help, we can see things that are unseen. And as we th- see them, there, our observation of them makes them go active. It activates them. And so I think there's such a thing as quantum hope where we are seeing the things that are in God's heart before they happen. Mm. And to me, that's what true prophetic is about. And mm. then we, we partner with him and agree with him and we align with him and then things change. I want to I just mention one more passage of scripture that the Lord told me to give everybody. Okay, so it's 2 Samuel 22. 21 to 25 in the message Bible. He said in the message Bible. So we looked it up. The Lord gave us this word, my wife and I, we looked it up and I'm going to end with it. It says, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. So it's like all the fragmentation, all the, yes. all the, what, what did you say that the disintegration? Uh, disintegration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, God great. made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I cleaned up my act, he gave me a fresh start. I think 2020 is a fresh start. Yeah. Indeed, I've kept alert to God's ways. I haven't taken God for granted. So there's that focus on what's God saying? What's God doing right here in this confined time? You Mm -hmm. know, then it says every day I review the ways he works. I try not to miss a trick. Mm -hmm. So I like to say, you know, because God's tricky. So don't (laughs) miss a trick. Yeah. 
Focus on what God is saying, what God is doing. Then he says this, the, the psalmist says, I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. God, here's the kicker. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Mm. When we get vulnerable and we just offer it all up yeah. and, and ask the Lord to search us and know us, see if there's any way of pain in us that's not resolved, Psalm 139. But when we do that, he rewrites the text of our life. He mm. rewrites the narrative we thought was past repair. And he gives us a new narrative. And he shows us how he's been with us all along in ways we didn't perceive. And he'll remind us and show us those things. And it'll change the narrative that we live by. Yeah, and I just believe right now that God's rewriting some narratives of some people, even about this time in their life, about this time during the virus, during the whatever challenge you're going through. Um, yeah, God, we do pray that you would um, use this passage, Lord, use these words, and um, you would step into people's stories. And even in the quantum world, you are the ultimate observer. And mm-hmm. so you would, you would observe uh, people's lives and rearrange their lives for hope. In Jesus' do it, name. Do it. Amen.